Well, good morning, everyone. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. If you read ahead, you're probably really curious what I'm going to say today. The Word of God. 1 Corinthians 11. Let's begin reading together in verse 2. <clears throat> Paul says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. Now, so when Paul transitions here and says, but I want you to realize, it, it indicates that within the context of the church in Corinth, there was a struggle over the issue that is going to be addressed. There, was, there were tensions rising about the understanding of the roles that men and women fulfilled in the context of marriage, and particularly in this case, in the context of church life. So he's, he's praising them, saying that some things you are getting right, and this is true for all of us, isn't it? We get a lot of things right in our Christian life, and then the Word of God is constantly speaking to correct the areas where we're struggling, because we're not perfect yet, and our goal is progress, not perfection. So the Word of God here is seeking to address an area that for many of us is hard to swallow, it's hard to grasp and understand, and yet it's what Paul presents. So in the context of saying you're doing good, you're holding on to the traditions, traditions would be this. Um, Traditions would be things that Paul taught them, basic principles, basic rules from Scripture that are to be guiding their lives. We all know that some traditions are unbiblical and not helpful, right? And there are other traditions that, quite frankly, are very helpful and encouraging for the body of Christ. Some bind, some liberate and free in the right kind of way, okay? So that's how Paul starts out. Okay, then he goes on to say, I want you to realize that the head of every man, is, or every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well cut her hair off but if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. And that gives you the very specific context, the if word at the beginning of verse 6. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the, he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. And you're saying, okay, explain that one. I'll come back to that, okay? For man did not come from the woman, but the woman from the man creation order. Neither was man created for the woman, but the woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, now Paul's now balancing. Nevertheless, in the Lord, the woman is not independent of the man, nor is the man independent of the woman. And all the women said, amen. All right. For as woman came from man, so also man is born from woman. But everything comes from God. We all are oriented vertically. And if we forget that, danger results and harm ensues. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. All right. Anybody have any questions? (laughs) 
I've been working on this for two weeks and I got... No. There, there are some things that you're going to see emerge very clear from the text. Are there areas of tension where we say, okay, God, I get that, but I don't think I yet like that? Okay? And I'm going to say, yeah, that's, that's the case for me. Okay? Um, so this text is in the larger setting of how biblical truth intersects with and guides us in relationship to various life issues. We, we've been talking from chapter 8 all the way through chapter 11 about issues that are present when believers are together and when believers are interacting with the world. How do we live? What principles should bind and guide us? What are the, the baselines? And some of the, the things that Paul concluded at the end of chapter 10 is, does it help other people, your choice in relationship to a circumstance? Is it encouraging? Does it build others up? Is it loving? Right? Those are the kinds of tests that we as believers are to be applying to every circumstance and decision that we make in life. This text raises a question. Is what Paul says about the particular topic, which is head coverings, okay, is what Paul addresses in relationship to head coverings a discussion about a basic principle, or is Paul giving a rule about head coverings? That's the question that you have to answer as you read this text. Is he telling us that women should wear head coverings? Or that there is a general principle that we must pursue in any and all cultural settings to glorify God. I'm going to argue that I think Paul is not giving a rule, but he's establishing a basic principle about relationships in the context of marriage and the church that should affect our decision-making process. So let's work our way through and let's see how this text clears up. Now, obviously, this text places a decent amount of emphasis on the issue of male and female, masculine and feminine, right? That's, that's obviously a, a, a tension that bubbles up in the text. We live in a culture that increasingly seeks to blur those gender lines that have been present since and are part of the created order. This text helps us to understand how we are to live as men and as women, though the text is not exhaustive in that area. Okay, so I want you to know, it's going to address certain things about male-female relationships in the context of marriage and in the context of church. The focus here, obviously, is when the church is gathered. Okay, but it bleeds over in Paul's discussion into how a husband and wife live in relationship to one another by God's design. That's part of where he's going. So I want to work our way through the text. I want us to first look at what we're going to call the foundational principle of the text. So verse 3 uh, makes a statement, three statements if you will. It says this, okay? The head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. It's very interesting how this is structured, okay? One causes the man to say, okay. One causes the woman to say, I don't know what I think about that. And the last one says, we all need to realize that we stand and fall before God. That our life is lived in His presence. So, the head of the man is Christ. Which is to say that men are not lords in their marriages or in the church. Jesus is. Okay, and I think that's the closed course. I'll come back to that in a little bit. 
Jesus is Lord of the church, not the man. Men, you answer to Christ for every decision that you make, for every attitude that you display. You answer to the King of kings and Lord of lords. It then goes on to say, and I believe this context is marriage, that the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, the last one is interesting, okay? Because it is a statement about a relationship within the Godhead where the essence of Jesus and Father are both God. It's part of the mystery of the Trinity, right? So Jesus is God, the Father is God, but the Son lives in relationship to the Father in such a way that as you read through the Gospels towards the end, Jesus will say, I have come to do my Father's will. There is an equal equality in essence and a difference in structure or function that you clearly see as you read through the Gospels. When you think of that, ladies, okay, understand that the, the, the difference between men and women is not one of essence. We are in the image of God both. We function at a, in, 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 in essence, in equality, in role, different. That difference is often thought of as an issue of value in our culture. Okay? Now, let me illustrate for you why that is not the case. Okay? All of us presumably have people over us somewhere in our lives. If we work, we have a boss over us. Okay, if we teach at a school, we have a principal over us. In every role of life, if you're a young person here today, your parents have probably reminded you recently that you're not the boss and that they are. Okay, and they should. It's their God-given role. Okay, you don't have to like it, but it is the truth. Okay, my brother owns an Ace Hardware store. Okay, he is the owner of that store. He, in function, holds positions that carry more responsibility. But if my brother sees himself as more essentially valuable than his employees, that is a problem. Does that make sense? You have a different role. You have a different God-given gift and set of responsibilities, but it doesn't make you better than your brother that doesn't own a store. Okay? Does that make sense? The problem in the American culture, you guys think back far enough. Think back to slavery. You know what the problem with slavery was? It was based on an evil assumption that certain people were essentially more valuable and better than others. That is why slavery had to be overthrown. And that is why throughout the New Testament, Paul says to believers in the church in employee-employer relationships or in owner and slave relationships, you are equal before God. And in that, he sounded the end of the discrimination that fostered slavery in the American and British cultures. And quite frankly, largely throughout the world at that time. Okay, so any understanding of the text that causes me to see myself as better essentially than my wife is absurd. It's not what the text is saying, right? The argument of the text in its foundational principle is that the Bible establishes distinct gender and roles and responsibilities. 
Okay, that's, that's the essential principle that you will find as you read through this text that God has established in culture, in home, and in church various roles for men and women. All right, here's what I believe. I believe that in the context of the church and the home, I'm not talking about any other area, in the context of church and home, it is pretty clear from Scripture that God has given men the responsibility to act as leaders. The reason I say responsibility is because we are acting under the authority of God Himself. That we are ultimately and essentially accountable to God. And any function that fails to honor, acknowledge, and live consciously of that relationship is foolish and I think is a desperate distortion of Scripture. Does that make sense? Okay, so I want to be clear on that. The Bible establishes distinct gender roles for men and women to fulfill. I think that's the argument of verse 3. All right, verses 4 through 6. The issue of head coverings and worship gatherings. Verse 4 says this. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered in some way dishonors his head. He fails to recognize the position that God has given him. So the position that a man in the context of church life is given by God is honorable only because it was given to him by God. And that brings along with it a sense of awe and responsibility. Okay? So to cover his head in the context would be to dishonor. Verse 5. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now, it's in a specific context, and I'll come back to that in the context of Corinth. It is the same as her having her head shaved, as her giving up the adornment and beauty of femininity. Okay, can I just say it that way? To do that would just simply be to, to give up the beauty that God intended and ordained. With the gift of beautiful hair. Now, what observation can we make? Here's the first observation I make. Women participated in public worship in the church. They had speaking roles. Okay, that's very clear. They were involved in prayer and they were involved in prophecy. And a prophecy will come to in a couple weeks. Okay, we'll come back to that. But for the time being, I just want you to know that there, there is this idea and thought that women participated in public worship. Now, we, I believe that there is a distinction in terms of preaching and exercising authority over men based on what First Timothy says. We're not going to get into that heavily today. Okay, just to say that women participated, okay? And when they did it in the context of Corinth, there was to be a public demonstration of their understanding of relationship in that culture. So the covering... And Paul says nothing about the size of covering. Where I grew up, I grew up in a Mennonite community. There was a debate about how much covering you needed. Okay, and that's what happens when you slip into the rule-based approach as opposed to the principle-based approach. Okay, you start asking how much is enough. So to forego the covering in Corinth risked disgrace. So verse 6, here's what he says. If a woman does not cover her head she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Okay, so the if in the middle of verse 6 establishes a condition in a specific context. So what was going on in Corinth? 
Corinth was a, a licentious, and when I say that I mean very loose moral culture in the ancient world. Sitting on top of, uh, of the mountain beside Corinth was a temple to the goddess Aphrodite. That temple had a hundred prostitutes that lived in it. The money for that temple was raised through prostitution. That's the way it was in the ancient world. Okay? The women typically shaved their head as an indication of their freedom and availability. So it becomes very clear in the culture that Paul would say to the women that lived in Corinth, you need to make sure that you maintain a decorum, a visual presence that says, I understand the God-given roles in the context of church and family. And I am not part of that loose culture. I am a child of God. Okay, so that covering would make a statement that would avoid disgrace. Why would Paul say this? Okay, why would Paul say that in Corinth? Because there was the potential of sending a wrong signal about one's understanding of their relationship to their husband and to the church as a whole. And Paul wanted those truths that are very important to be clear. Now, here, here's what we know. The setting determines what's appropriate. Okay, yesterday I did a funeral for a firefighter in our community. I know our community. I, I don't live in Basking Ridge. Okay, I live in Warren County, right? And I, so here's my tension always. Do I have to wear a tie? That's, that's one of the most important questions in life for me, okay? When I'm going to funerals and I'm going to weddings, that's like the compelling, like you're going to think that's sad, but that's true, okay? Like, do I have to wear a tie? So I did a wedding a few weeks ago for Danielle and Chris who were in here somewhere, um, where they okay, there, Chris is over there. So Chris Danielle's not here, so I can say this. Uh, I texted Danielle. I didn't text Chris. I texted Danielle. And I said, do you want me to wear a tie for the wedding? She said, yes. I put the phone to the side, screamed, picked it back up and said, I'll be glad to comply. <laughs> okay. Now, what's going on? In some settings, it's a principle, Right? Do the thing that's respectful. That's why I texted the bride and said, what would be respectful and honorable to you in that setting? Okay, I'm not usurping myself on her as a woman. I'm asking her what her preference is. Does that make sense? Okay, and that's, we're to live honorably with each other, to do what's loving. So to ask her what her preference is, even though it's not my preference. Okay, yesterday for the firefighter in Warren County, I knew I don't have to wear a tie. I need to speak respectfully about that man and tie the gospel of Christ into that story. That was my job, not to look a certain way, but to present myself in a way that would be undistracting, just not an issue. Okay, does that make sense? And honestly, I'm going to tell you, I think in that setting with that group of men and women that it worked better to not wear a tie. It was more engaging for them. And sometimes we have to be sensitive to that. Okay, that's kind of what Paul's saying, just at a, at a higher level, but I thought the illustration may be helpful. I have a missionary friend, um, Doug the Van Dames, uh, forget her first name, Julie, Julie Van Dames. Her and her husband live, lived in Egypt, now they're moving to Jordan, okay? They were missionaries there. Every picture I saw, she had a covering on. Why are you wearing a covering? <laughs> I knew why she was. All right, she was being respectful of the culture she lived in. To uncover her head would say, I could care less about my husband. And she refuses to do that, particularly in a culture where that symbol captures her heart. 
Okay, I know Julie well enough to know that that's her heart whether she's wearing the covering or not. So the symbol is culturally relevant. Does that make sense? Okay, so in that culture, you got if you live in Pakistan, you're a Christian, you wear a covering. It's what acknowledges your understanding of God-ordained structure to the world in which you're living. Okay, so, so that's the issue of coverings. 7 to 12 then gives a powerful clarification. Okay, it says a man ought not to cover his head. He ought to maintain a sense of distinction in regard to his masculinity and his God-given role. So he doesn't put on a sign that says, I am under my wife. But no, I have been given by God a responsibility to selflessly and sacrificially lead in her life. And so he doesn't put on something that would indicate that he's not a man. He is the image and glory of God. Go back to Genesis. Man is created in the image of God to honor and glorify God. That is not a praise to men. That is a heavy responsibility that comes to a man that he is to represent God. And when he does, there is a beauty or glory or weightiness to that representation of God. How do you know this is true? Here's what Paul says. And then he says, but the woman is the glory of man. And I'll explain that in one second as best I can. Paul says, for man, and this is the rationale, man did not come from woman, woman from the man. Now, what do you start thinking? Hopefully, you start thinking about creation order. You think back to Genesis 1. God created man. He gave man the responsibility of naming animals, which was an exercise of his dominion over the earth, right? It was an exercise of responsibility. <clears throat> After it was all done, it says there was not a compliment, a helper suitable to join with him. So what does God do? God causes a sleep to fall upon the man. He takes a rib from his side. He creates woman and brings her to man as a gift from God. That woman is a treasured gift that when she comes into the picture, the man is finally complete. That's what this text is saying. There is a beauty in creation order, and creation order is meant to tell you something about the husband-wife, male-female relationship. That there is a, in that joining, God-designed joining, and that God-designed flow in Genesis, that God is capturing a truth for us. That he created man first, man is to be responsible for leadership. The woman comes along as a compliment, as a helpmeet suitable, as a proper supporter and encourager for him. And he is to love her and cherish her as Christ loves the church. It's a beautiful picture if you unpack it properly. So, he is for man, she is for man and from man, based upon the unique origin creation. Yet, and here's the truth that we understand, both men and women bear the image of God. Totally. Okay, and it's important for you to understand that that gets back to the issue of essence. We are created in the image of God for the glory of God. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that our culture is sadly confusing role relationships and gender distinctions. I was actually offended that Doug announced Father's Day. Because some are saying we should have Parents' Day. These role relationships and gender distinctions are part of created... Well, you guys know I'm being facetious when I say that, right? Okay. Some of you are like... 
It's my tooth, okay? <laughs> In a culture that is confusing uh, role relationships and gender distinctions, we lose the essence of created order. Most of this battle against distinctions is in pursuit of significance and identity. People want to express themselves. They want to have their truth. I hope your red flag goes up when you hear that. Your greatest day in life is the day you realize that you were created by God and that you bear His image and that He made you male and female and that you're not fighting and resisting what is clearly obvious in the distinction of roles. And instead that you say, God, I thank you for how you made me. And I embrace that for your glory. Give me the courage to be the man that you want me to be. Give me the courage to be the woman that you want me to be. So that you will be in every way honored, glorified, and exalted. Now, verses 11 and 12, the part where the women said amen, says, nevertheless. Okay, so yes, yes, and yes. There is a created order. Woman is taken from the man as a picture of their relationship. They are equal in essence. However, Paul is saying, in the Lord the woman is not independent of the man, nor should she declare that by shedding her glory. Does that make sense? And the man is not independent of the woman. For as the woman came from man in Genesis, so also man is born of woman. I so said, what is, what is God saying? God is saying, yes, there but yes, at your birth, that there is a symbiotic relationship, a balancing, a nevertheless, a caution that men would never see their position as ruling over and being a boss to their wife. And yet the symbol is worn in Corinth to say, I am willing to line up into God's ordained role for my life. Now, I think the ultimate significance is when Paul says this, but everything is from God. All of created order and the relationships and the gender distinctions are gifts from God. They keep culture healthy. And when those are jettisoned, things get strange. Okay, who would have ever thought that I would see an article in the news about trying to decide which bathroom is appropriate for a specific individual to enter it? I'm going to tell you something. If you said to people, in 20 years, that will be a debate, people would have laughed at you. But when you put aside these understandings and distinctions of men and women, of masculinity and femininity, and you throw that away and say, it's irrelevant, it's meaningless, you end up in places that become very hard to describe and should be very troubling. Can I say that with a heart? If I'm talking with someone who's wrestling with that kind of stuff, I am sensitive to, to the struggle they're facing and seek to guide them based upon biblical truth out of love because that's what we should do. So I don't, I don't think we as pastors here tend to throw out topics as, you know, gotchas, bombs, okay? Don't take any of this lightly. Take it seriously because it, 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 it messes with the God-intended order of things which leads to the joy of humanity. When you set that aside, you end up with anger and frustration and misunderstandings. And it goes on and on and on. Both men and women are in the image of God. And you, we glorify Him best when we fulfill our God-given role. Now, I want you to notice that, that this text, verse 
at the beginning of verse 11 says, nevertheless in the Lord. Now, I mentioned earlier that the idea of a closed course. Okay, if you've ever gone to the New York car show, which the, the Jeep display is in what's called the Javits Center. Okay, they have a, like a room that's like a bit of a greenhouse, huge. And in their Jeep sets up a closed course. It has really steep hills and all kinds of stuff that out in the public world would like stun you and amaze you and cause sheer terror. But it's a closed course. It's been tested by the creator of the car. So when the car drives that course, it has been suited and created to navigate all of the tricky spots without danger to the person riding in the car because they're going to put the general public in the car. So it's a closed course in the sense that in that context, it's safe to drive this vehicle at this speed. You'll be fine. It's a closed course. The dangers have been worked out. The same thing is true here. I believe that male-female relationships, particularly in the context of marriage, are only truly safe when a man is being led by the Spirit of God. Then he is on a closed course that is directed and instructed by his Creator so that he leads his wife not as a boss, but as a Savior like Christ. That he understands his God-given role. Man, here's what God's Word says. It says, live with your wife, 1 Peter 3, in an understanding way, as joint heirs in the grace of God. Which is to say that before God, you have an equal footing, but on earth, you have a different responsibility. Fulfill it in a way that honors God. Ladies, encourage your men. Don't critique. Try to show respect. Even when it's hard, gut it out. Be stronger than us because you really are anyhow. <laughs> but show the respect that will encourage your husband to be the man that God wants him to be. And how you do that, you embrace your God-given role. You say, honey, I'm here to help you. Be the man that God wants you to be. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't earn more money than him if you're a working mom. You may, and that's fine. But it understands that just because I earn more doesn't mean I'm more valuable than him. Nor does the fact that he earns more, or maybe I don't work, that he's more valuable than me. No, we're just fulfilling different roles that God has given. I think it's so important that we understand that. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and died for her. I don't know any woman that would resist a man like that. That would do anything to be sure that her supreme happiness is achieved in all of life who would selflessly give himself up for her benefit and for her glory. Now, verses 13 then close this discussion. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Context is what? Public church gathering. Okay, that's what we know from verses 4 through 6. Is it right for her to pray in Corinth without the received cultural symbol of I acknowledge that I am under God and that God has put me in a responsibility of submission to my husband. It, it's a symbol that says this is our relationship. And honestly, I believe this. I believe only a strong woman. Who loves God can do that effectively. Effectively. 
And in verse 14, Paul says this. He says, does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. Let me just, you're saying, help me. Okay, I'm going to help you. Okay. Does not nature itself. Nature is this. It is the normal pattern of things. Okay. The normal pattern of things. Long, obviously throughout culture, for men is a relative term. Okay. Paul does not go into the issue of inches. It's irrelevant to him. The principle and the attitude is the thing that is most important to him. When I read this text, I thought of Absalom, who was a man who was obviously a man's man and had beautiful hair. That's the way he's described, right? So it, it, th- this restriction has something to do with issues of masculinity and femininity. Is femininity even a word? Is it? Okay. Checking with Doug up here. Okay. Um, In my notes, I have this. I'm just glad to have hair to comb, okay? <laughs> I'm not really worried about it being long. I'm just worried about it hanging out for a while, okay? Here's the key of the text. I'm going to tell you, the key of the text is men are to look like men and women are to look like women. Okay? In the 60s, I remember it as a child, there was a growing out of hair for men long as a political statement, Okay? My dad did not let me grow my hair long. Okay, you know why? He didn't want me to use hair as a means of making a political statement or getting an appearance that's outside of what the Bible establishes. That's what he was concerned about. I'm not saying it's, I'm, I'm not weighing in on that heavily, but if it's a political statement, uh, I, I, I think it's a problem based on this text. Uh, I'm not sure what some young men are thinking today when they see their hair. And I, I just attribute that to my being old and out of style. If a man does his hair t- in such a way that says, I reject how God made me. Okay? If a man wears his hair in a certain way to make a statement, principally, I reject the way that God made me. To me, that enters into a violation of this biblical text. Does that make sense? Okay, now let's go to verse 15. If a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her as a covering, as a sign of her understanding of her role relationship to her husband. Now let me quick clarify this so none of you panic. Okay, her hair is given as a covering. It is a beauty. It is adorned. Most women spend a lot more time on their hair than men do. And the results are evident, okay? You can see it looking around, okay? It is a sign of feminine beauty and can be a sign. And can be a sign. Let me just say this. Just because you do your hair in a feminine fashion does not mean that you necessarily buy God's truth, okay? You can have your hair looking awesome, head-turning hair, and not be living in right relationship with your husband, okay? Paul is... Very careful about thinking that the external thing is all that matters. He says it's the issue of the heart. I lived with four women for years. There are now seven women in my life since God will not give us grandsons. Of that we are confident. 
Some of them uh, were more feminine in nature. Some of them were tomboys. At the end of the day, they are ladies who adorn themselves beautifully and honorably as women most of the time. And I want to say this. There are, and Doug and I talked about this last night. Sometimes I call Doug on Saturday and say, ah, help me <laughs> with this text. <laughs> okay. uh, we were talking about just hairstyles and this whole discussion of length can become very uh, kind of contentious and rule-based, which is dangerous. And my observation is that there are some women that have their hair cut shorter that wear it in, a, in an incredibly feminine fashion and it adorns them. Okay, so the issue isn't get out your tape. The issue is, does the woman desire to look like a woman? And if a woman says, I'm cutting my hair this way because I am breaking free from my femininity, I'm going to tell you biblically, I believe that's a problem. Because what it says is, I reject the identity that God clearly gave me. And I'm going to get outside of that identity, create and find another identity, and be happy. I'm going to be very honest with you. I do not mean this in a, in a, in a critical way. Good luck. I don't see how casting aside the creator's design and purpose brings me to a place of happiness. Okay? It's when I understand that God has given me this, made me in this way for his glory, that I begin to function in the God-given role, and God is glorified in and through our lives in a way that he would not be otherwise. You know, when I, when I studied this, I thought, uh, prompted by, I, I was prompted by something I was reading it was making observations about people who have gone through chemotherapy. A number of you have gone through that and dealt with the hair loss and all the things that go along with that. And what the guy was observing, and please understand how I say this, he was observing it in the most general terms, okay? That, and and I, I, let me illustrate this from my own life. My brother and my mom in the last two years were diagnosed with cancer. Praise God, they're both in full remission and God has delivered them. But they both went through chemotherapy. And they responded to it fundamentally differently. When my mom heard she had to get uh, chemotherapy, she went out and bought a rather expensive wig before it started. I know why my mom did that. My mom has a, a bearing, a way that she presents herself, that she is very conscious of. She's conscious of her femininity. And so... When the thought of losing, I'm surprised she didn't lose her hair from worry, actually, okay? It was that point of dawn, I have to go, we have to go. And they did, and she got a beautiful wig that she never wore, not one day. She never lost any hair, okay? My brother, in contrast, went for his chemo treatment, saw a hair laying on the dash of his truck driving home, and went and got it all shaved off. Never wore a covering. Okay, fundamental difference between how a woman understands adornment, femininity, and a man that doesn't care. <laughs> okay. And I, as I thought, I thought that it kind of captures the essence of this text. That for one, it's an issue. For me, honestly, it's not that much of an issue. It, it's, it's a little issue, okay? I don't want to lose it all, okay? But if I do, I'm going to shave it, Okay. And I also understand that some cuts are done because it shows camaraderie. I know people, girls that have shaved their head because they wanted to establish camaraderie with someone who was going through chemo. And that, that purpose in doing that is, is completely fine. Please understand. It's when it's done to say, I don't care about God's standards and God's rules and God's principles. 
the issue is one of being feminine and masculine, honoring and accepting God-given distinctions. I want to get personal for one real quick second. Observe that my wife is not here, okay? She's back in junior church, so I am completely safe to say whatever I want to say, except that this is recorded, okay? <laughs> and, and just so you ladies know, because some people come up to me after church, if I say something about Eric or my wife, who are vir- virtually twins emotionally, okay? Do you get in trouble for that? Said no. I didn't get home yet. No. No, honestly, Ruth, she's like, you guys know my wife. Uh, to the discerning, you know that my wife is a strong, durable, patient, and gifted person. My wife. See if I could say this properly. My wife doesn't need me. Okay, and I mean that in the most sincere way I can say it. I always say to people, if one of us is going to die first, it must be me. Because I'm the one who will be a train wreck without Ruth. And I mean in total sincerity, my wife will do fine without me. She does better with me, that's what I remind her of, okay? I want that to be true, so I repeat it, okay? But the truth is, she's a strong woman, and she'll be fine. She graciously encourages me to lead in her home, not because I do it better than her, but because it's what God wants. It's not a matter of gifts. It's not a matter of earning capacity. It's not a matter of talents. It's a matter of God-ordained structure with a purpose. And my wife encourages me to lead and to guide her home. She wants me to. Not because she needs it, but because she believes it's the right thing. Men, it's Father's Day. Day in which we celebrate our impact, contribution, sacrifice, and leadership in our homes. Don't abdicate your role, men. Don't leave it to your wife don't. It dishonors God and it dishonors her. Lead in your home like Christ who could say to his disciples, I am among you as one who serves. So men, get low. Get low. Serve your wife and make her fulfillment of her God-ordained role a pleasure. Make her think she's a Chick-fil-A. Okay? You go through there, you drive through, how can I help you? I like this and this. Hey, thanks, my pleasure. (laughs) Always the same thing, okay? So make it a pleasure for her because you cherish her and love her and you sacrifice for her like Christ does for the church. Make it a joy for her to accept a role that sometimes is not attractive. Oh, I get to obey my husband. I haven't had a woman say that to me lately. But make it her joy to say, I understand that there is in creation and in the New Testament a God-ordained structure. And I desire to live in a way that honors God. Men, make it a joy for her to do that. Be a man. Step up. Shed the cultural desire to not, well, you don't want to be too. No, don't be too, okay? But be a man who's respectable and loving 
and like Jesus. And here, here's the cool thing. When you do that, you are showing Christ to the world. Because they should see in your loving relationship to your wife, the love of Christ. So that when you have an opportunity to speak the truth of Jesus, it resonates with something they've already been observing in your daily life, in your relationship with your wife. May God help us men on Father's Day as you wait for those texts. And they encourage your heart. Be for your girls a real man. And be for your sons an example of masculinity that honors God. Not machismo. But Jesus. Jesus. Okay, so did I, right, I'm not going to ask any questions. I think we're just going to leave it there. May God help us. I, so here's my conclusion. The issue of head coverings is a principle about accepting God-ordained functions in a way that proclaims the gospel of Jesus to a watching world. A woman who says, I accept that role, and they, they know your husband, okay? They respect you. They may be different than you. They may not be able to do what you're doing, but you have the Spirit of God if you're a Christian, and He is prompting you to be the woman that God designed you to be. For a man, the Spirit of God is prompting you to be the man that God wants you to be. Paul says, I do all of this. All of my adjustments in church and culture are done so that most will be saved. 1 Corinthians 10 or verse 23. Folks, that's why we follow God's standards and principles. So that a watching world sees Jesus in our lives. May God help us. Father, I pray that as we digest this text, that we will not be people who are caught up in external inches, rules, and coverings. God, I pray that we would be respectful of those that have different convictions than us. And above all, God, that men would lead their wives in sacrificial love and that wives would fulfill their God-given role and responsibility in as much as they would towards Christ. And in all of this, Father, we proclaim the good news of Christ to a world that more and more desperately needs to know Him. Help us to proclaim Him, I pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.